0: it just kind of speaks to where we are at as a culture right now that we have to like focus on doing nothing and like Mm -hmm. relaxing you know so one of the you know i sort of the book sort of builds towards you know creating some sort of like rules for recovery or like concepts and i think one of the most important things is just having like a daily ritual or a part of your everyday that's just relaxation and relaxing Mm -hmm. and by that i mean like you're not you're not trying to be productive in fact it's productivity is sort of the emphasis of it it's like you're just sort of being you're letting your mind wander Mm -hmm. and you're letting your muscles your body relax but you know it's almost like these days people almost feel like they have to pencil that in or not even people don't even use pencils anymore it's like their apps or whatever like they Mm -hmm. have to have an alert that tells them okay it's time to relax now and you have exactly you know 30 minutes to relax and it's like
1: (laughs) this episode of the smart athlete podcast is brought to you by solpre skincare for athletes whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to Soulpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. Today, my guest started her career as a lab researcher. She's the former lead science writer for 538, currently freelancing, so feel free to get in touch with her if you need some quality articles. Um, she has a podcast called Emerging Form. It's on creativity, and I'm sure she might share more with us about it in a minute. Uh, but more importantly, today, we're talking about her latest book, Good to Go. Welcome to the podcast, Christy Ashwanden. Uh, I knew I was going to mess that up, Christy. I'm sorry. That's
0: pretty good, actually. So, in Switzerland, it's a Swiss name. They say Ashwanden or Ashwanden. And I usually I used to say it Ashwanden, but I've sort of defaulted to saying Ashwanden because when yeah. I say Ash, then people think it's spelled with an O, and they really screw up the, the spelling. But if I just say Ash, everyone gets it pretty close. So
1: this is like this like like I told you before we got started. It's this like half German thing in my head when I go Ashwanden, Ashwanden, like with the, with the, that V sound
0: and
1: yeah. I Ash you and I couldn't get it corrected. I'm gonna have to like. In the future, I'll have to ask guests and then be like, "All right, I'm gonna, let me say this three times." And then
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes, like trying to get it right, actually makes it worse. Yeah, um, I, I was on my book tour. I was on stage with a friend of mine. He, we were doing a Q and A, and he's great. And I, I asked him right before, like, I want to be sure I'm saying your last name correctly. And he told me, and then I got up there and said it completely wrong. And he was just like, "What are you doing?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well it's so funny, like you know, so my last name is funk. It's four letters, it's a that relatively is a common name. it's a Could relatively common a word. But like I've had I've had like the most egregious I think was I had funic. And I went, <laughs> What? Like I don't even I didn't know what to do with I was this was like I was like a teenager at the time. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know I don't even know what to do with that right now. Um <laughs> But as you Thank said, you. we're, we're kind of short on time today as you're a busy person. Um, so, I kind of want to jump right in and ask you, um, why even take an assignment talking about recovery? I mean, you do a lot of things. So, I mean, why take this assignment at all?
0: Yeah, that is such a great question. And it has a kind of a long, I'll, I'll give you the long answer. I <laughs> shall try, I'll give you the short version of the long answer. Okay. Uh, the short, long answer is that I was an elite athlete for many years, and recovery is sort of the thing that I never managed to get right. And, and it's something that I think all of us athletes know that it's, it is really important but it's something that's easy to neglect and looking back on my career now that it's over i realize that that was sort of the limiting the thing that limited you know me reaching my peak potential or whatever mm-hmm. was just that i never i was pretty much constantly overtraining i was neglecting to you know really focus on recovery i sort of gave recovery short shrift and i think that that's pretty common among athletes especially mm-hmm. you know endurance athletes like myself were, tend to be really driven and sort of have this idea that more is better even if you sort of intellectually know that it's not you know the sort of so mm-hmm. often the response to like things not going well or to just work harder and like I can see right, now right. That well that we know how work. to work
1: hard like it <laughs> right it, yeah how do you know that you're recovering hard you know like
0: right <laughs> recovering right. effectively right exactly so so there's that aspect but then the other aspect is like basically so I was like you know a serious athlete in the Nine, in the 90s and the 2000s and like back then like we didn't have like there's so much stuff that has just sprung up since then and you know I still do sports and I'm, I'm just totally recreational and not really competing although mm-hmm. I did just take up cyclocross and okay. I just realized that oh crap it's time to start training I have my first race <laughs> in a few weeks yep. uh, which is super fun um, but anyway um, in that time there's been sort of this proliferation of new products and services Mm -hmm. that are targeted at athletes that are all about recovery. And so I say in the book that, you know, my, and back in my day, see, this makes me seem really old, which I guess I am now. (laughs) Um, but back in my day, recovery was a noun, you know, it was the state of being that you tried to achieve by like Mm -hmm. putting your feet up and resting and sleeping and like, basically you, you weren't doing anything that the whole point of recovery was to do nothing. Mm -hmm. But now recovery has become a verb. It's something that you do and like I kept hearing, you know, in the course of reporting my book, um, I kept talking to pro athletes and serious athletes who were saying, "Oh, I got to go do my recovery now." And I'm thinking, "Go do your recovery!" Like that just seemed like ridiculous to me. But I started to realize that that's where we're at now, and mm-hmm. recovery has been some become something that people really do with as much sort of energy and bigger as they do their training, which, you know, on the one hand, it's great that there's kind of a, a wide standing recognition of the importance of recovery. But at the on the other end of that is sort of like, I also know, you know, I'm a science journalist by training. Um, I used to be an experimentalist, like I'm sort of a science geek, a data geek. And like, mm-hmm. the other thing that I noticed is that a lot of this stuff, you know, didn't seem very scientific to me. And so I was really right. interested in sort of like, interrogating the science, looking at, at what the stuff was all about. And Yeah, really, I wanted to figure out what works. I was pretty sure that some of this new stuff must be pretty amazing if it had become so popular.
1: Yeah. I think you touched on it in the book where it's like, like we kind of talked about, you know how to work hard. So it's like, if you know you need to recover, it's easier to like, let's do something to recover versus right,
0: let's do, it. do yeah.
1: nothing, you know. Yeah. I think you touched on this somewhere. I can't remember what chapter that is you Yeah,
0: I that. mean, I think it, it just kind of speaks to where we at, are at as a culture right now that we have to, like, focus on doing nothing and, like, mm-hmm. relaxing, you know. So one of the, you know, I sort of, the book sort of builds towards, you know, creating some sort of, like, rules for recovery or, like, concepts. And I think one of the most important things is just having, like, a daily ritual or a part of your every day that's just, relaxation and relaxing mm. and by that i mean like you're not you're not trying to be productive in fact it's productivity is sort of the emphasis of it it's like you're just sort of being you're letting your mind wander mm-hmm. and you're letting your muscles your body relax but you know it's almost like these days people almost feel like they have to pencil that in or not even people don't even use pencils anymore it's like their apps or whatever like they mm. have to have an alert that tells them okay it's time to relax now and you have exactly you know 30 minutes to relax and it's like, <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, actually, I fall into that a little bit where it's like, so I, I bought an old house. It's It was built in the 1930s and it needs a lot of work. So my mind is constantly churning all the time, you know, new ad ideas, I need to get new guests, so I need to prep for an interview, whatever it is I need to do, like always, always going. And my almost like penciled in recovery, quote unquote, to get my mind to shut down is like, all right, I need to go sand some paint off a door. And I can just like be instead of letting my mind. So, it gives my mind a break. But it is like scheduled time. Like I'm going to go do this for an hour. It's still that like weird prescribed time that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, it's like we need – it's like – people feel like they need permission. And it's been really interesting. One of the most common responses that I've gotten to the book, I've gotten so many letters about this is people just telling me, Oh, my God, thank you. Like, you gave me permission to like, you know, take time off to just relax. And you Mm -hmm. gave me permission to stop being so anxious and to stop worrying about you know, there's a lot of things in the book that I, I sort of identify as being, you know, not worth your time. And yeah, I kind of expected that people were gonna be mad at me for debunking some of their favorite things. And in fact, it's been sort of the opposite. People are like, oh, thank God I don't have to go in the ice back and I do make... that
1: anymore. You know,
0: I always hated that. It's like, yeah, and you don't actually need to do it. And so people have actually been really happy about that.
1: Yeah, I was I was gonna I was kind of wondering about that because it seems like as I went through it, it seems like the the vast majority of chapters, you're like, No, it didn't really have a whole lot of efficacy here. Like maybe like in regards to you know icing, I think you talk about um for short term recovery, say like you've got multiple races a day or something that it might be it might there might be some um efficacious use of ice between, but it it you know inhibits uh, long term recovery. yeah, so it's like, okay, it, it, maybe it has some limited use, but it's not a cure all for you know whatever we want it to do
0: yeah I mean the secret is there is no secret, right? It's like all the stuff that you know, and people really I and mean, we're just so eager we're sort of living in this time too where we have um such a belief in technology, which I think is cool, but mm-hmm. it's also sort of this idea that like there's this perfect version of ourselves that's just like one techno fix away, and if only you know we get the right app or the right product or whatever that everything will be perfect, or even you know it's the idea of the one weird trick like it doesn't even necessarily have to be the product but it's like okay do this you know whether it's the ice bath or whatever and so i guess one of the messages from my book like no actually you don't like let go of that stuff like if you Mm -hmm. actually just focus on the basics the stuff that you sort of already know to be doing like that's where you get the biggest payoffs and in fact i think one of the biggest payoffs actually comes from like making a conscious decision to not stress about this other stuff and to Mm -hmm. not try to micromanage and to sort of stop seeking these like tiny little gains where the sort of effort to attain them sort of erases whatever benefit you're going to get because now all of a sudden you know instead of finishing your workout now you're spending another half hour doing all these like things that aren't going to benefit you or if they do it's such a small amount that maybe that half hour would have been better off you know spent actually relaxing because you mm-hmm. know I think if your recovery rituals are not relaxing then they're not working but on the other hand you know I identify a lot of uh, modalities that actually don't have, you know, there may be these scientific claims that are made for them that didn't hold up. But at the same time, if they help someone relax, like that's actually recovery. Recovery is relaxing, right. it's helping your body regenerate, recuperate. And so anything that you can do that makes you feel good. And makes you feel relaxed and sort of helps you reduce stress and feel at ease like that's really great and so you don't need some like pseudoscientific explanation about infrared rays or you know <laughs> lactic acid flushing or whatever like massage feels really really great you yeah. don't have a lot of like really good physiological explanations for like how it helps but it helps i think by making people feel really good it helps by forcing people to lie down and relax for a while it helps by you know, forcing people to take their you put their legs up and and really just sort of focus on their body for a bit.
1: yeah, you kind of touched on a lot of different things. so I was as I read I read back through the book yesterday, I was writing, you know writing down yeah. different thoughts for you. And one of the things I, I one of the thoughts I had is, um if we have enough like anecdotal evidence that something's working and it's not hurting anybody, whatever mm-hmm. it is, is it necessary to debunk it? And it kind of seems like you've already said, well, if it like, like massage, you know, you're talking about massage, not really having the whole lactic acid thing is bunk. Yeah. So, you know, but it feels good. So is, is, that seems to be good enough, right?
0: Yeah, so here's my take on it. Um, I, so I agree that if something's helping people and it's working and it's not harming them, then that's fine. And I don't want to take that away from people. But I do think that it's worth still, um, you know, debunking, pseudo-scientific explanations for things because mm-hmm. they sort of distract us but they also sort of promote this almost like sciencey notion of things where you just sort of mm-hmm. slap some scientific terms on something and it makes it you know makes everyone think that it works. Right. I think it's also okay to acknowledge sometimes that things can work in ways that we, we sort of have this idea that if we can quantify it or like there's data or some sort of thing that feels sciencey that that's more legitimate than things like you know, make putting you into a better mood, mm-hmm. or you know, even just sort of the, the feeling of like, oh, yeah, it feels good. Like, that's something that's very hard to quantify feeling good. I mean, you can ask people, you could have these qualitative measures, but we have this idea that, you know, oh, measuring something in my blood or like finding some level that we can absolutely quantify with a, a quantitative scale mm-hmm. somehow makes it more true. And I think that that sort of can distract our attention away from the things that in this case are really important. Um, and I'll just give you an example of that. There has been a lot of work that's been done to sort of look for what is the best measure of recovery. Because, yeah, this is a really important question. You wanna mm-hmm. know if you're recovered and be able to track this and figure out. And it turns out, I mean, people have looked at everything under the sun, every kind of like measure that you could take in the blood, all kinds of physiological measures, you know, heart rate, heart rate variability, um, hormone levels, blood level, you know, everything mm-hmm. you can think of. And nothing, absolutely nothing trumps mood, which right. seems like really counterintuitive. And yet this is a result that's been replicated. And like there have been meta-analyses that have like looked at this and concluded that that yeah you know, really that subjective feeling of well-being is really the best measure of it. And I think any athlete who's ever like towed the line near overtraining sort of knows this i mean when you're at training camp and you're going really hard and you're really tired like you're moody you're cranky you don't feel good you don't feel like training you know it's all like these are things we've all sort of experienced and Mm -hmm. yet somehow it's like we don't trust that you know people will trust some measure on their watch or they want some number um you know on their app that will tell them this when in fact i think you know Seeking that number or sort of relying on those sorts of things can actually be really dangerous because they can take athletes away from the most important skill that they absolutely need, which is the ability to read their own bodies.
1: Mm -hmm. And so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the more, you know, the more that you can learn to understand your own body, because this is very individual. So, the other thing about um, these measures of recovery is there's been a lot of research on this where they're looking at there's no one thing that I can measure on every athlete. That will mm-hmm. tell me, okay, they're becoming overtrained or they're, they're not well rested. On the other hand, every individual will tend to have something or another that that sort of fills this role. So for instance, for me, I have come to realize that if I wake up in the morning with just this little hint of a, a scratchy throat, like a sore throat coming on, I know that that's a sign. Like that's my own body sign of saying, look, you're overextended, help we need some rest. And Mm -hmm. I've learned this through trial and error. And I can't tell, you know, that may not be the same for you. It may be that the only time you ever, you know, get a sore throat at all is when you're actually getting the flu or something. Mm -hmm. But I know that for me, you know, other athletes I've talked to, um, I have one friend who, when she's starting to feel overtrained, it's always this particular heaviness in her legs that she feels. That's something that I haven't experienced, but I know that for her, it's really effective. And so, every person has their own thing. I, I talked to one, I, I talk about this in the book, one coach that I interviewed who liked to make uh, friends with his athletes, roommates or spouses. And he had one athlete who, you know, when his wife said he was cranky, he knew it was time to scale down <laughs> the training. It was like getting to be too much, you know? Yeah. When you talked about
1: talking about the uh, sore throat, when I read that, I was like, that's, I, I, I have a very similar thing where I actually ended up skipping my A race for this year because I was getting a sore throat that week. And I was like, I knew I could probably race and be okay. But if I did, that I would be worse for wear the following week, which was the time I was supposed to go on vacation. So, I was like, yeah. all right, I'll skip the A race. And But I actually I have a, another show that's just me I call Runner's High, where I just talk about long distance running and kind of help people, Learn how to do things involving long distance running. One of my big things I talk about is RPE or rate of perceived exertion and trying oh, yeah. to like learn RPE because for me, it's like the most important measure of figuring in, like really dialing in every workout and the weeks in terms of making sure you're maximizing load, but not going over that cliff. Because yeah. I think it was Chris McCormick who is a long-distance triathlete. If you don't know, you probably know who Maka is. But um, I think it was his advice. He says something along the lines of like, if he doesn't feel like getting in the pool, when he goes to the pool, he gets in, he does one lap. And if after one lap, he still feels like he doesn't want to be in there, he just gets out and goes home. So, it's like always this kind of gut check in terms of how do I feel today, versus let's just focus on heart rate training or let's just focus yeah. on these like objective measures that we can you know can look at
0: absolutely absolutely and i think that that's good and but it also takes some time to realize because there's as i've had people ask me about this you know, some days you wake up and you just don't feel like training and is that mm-hmm. just because yeah you know, and most of us think okay you what's wrong with you? Like, I must be really, really terrible today. Like, and I better double down because I'm, you know, I, I should want to train. And if I don't, something's wrong with me. Well, yeah, something's wrong with me. My body's saying, you know, I need a rest. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think we've all had experiences where you wake up and you're not feeling it or you just don't feel like training, but you go out and you have one of your best days. And mm-hmm. that may not happen until after you sort of warm up or something, but it can be hard to distinguish. And I think that's where, you know, really paying close attention to RPE, paying close attention, you know, keeping a training diary, and this Mm -hmm. can be on paper. It doesn't need to be, you know, one of these fancy things, but just keeping close track of how you're feeling so that you can also sort of look at patterns too, because on any particular day, you know, you can make that call, but you want to be looking at it in terms of like the course of a season and all that too, because it it may be, you know, sometimes you think, okay, you know, my plan this week is that today I really need to do some hard training, but it may be a part part of the season where you've been training a lot. You're pretty fit. And it mm-hmm. may be that the better call is like because you always it's always a better decision to do too little than to do too much. Mm-hmm. Always. I mean, there's, there's no if ever the is between one or the other, you want to do less. Um, but, you know, at the same time, sometimes you want to push through. And so so much of this is just learning to understand your body and to read it and to keep sight of sort of those patterns, too, so that you don't want to ever do something just because it's on your training plan for that day.
1: Right, it's kind of an unfortunate reality of, of of RPE and the whole like subjective measure of how do I feel that it takes experience because it's like, you know, I, I've been competing for eighteen, nineteen years now, and it's like, oh, if I knew now, right, back then, it's like, but you can't have known because you didn't have the experience, and it's just yeah. it's catch t- catch twenty two. But that's why I try my best to like. Relate, okay. If you this pace feels like this to me, and these are the kind of physiological indicators I'm feeling for, and try to share some of that stuff. But but I know there's going to be other things that other people notice, and yeah, trying yeah. to put it all together is just like terribly inefficient to say, I feel this way, do you feel that way? And right, there's only so much empathy that can be shared verbally, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And so, I think it can also go the other way sometimes where, you know, it's not only that, you know, some days you're feeling tired and you need to rest. It can be that some days you're feeling really good and you want to push yourself a little bit mm-hmm. harder and like, you want to be tuned into your body to know whether like that's the right decision. And like, yeah, I need to do more because sometimes, you know, you're feeling really good and you need to stop. Like it's better to stop while you're feeling good. Mm-hmm. But you're know, keeping track of, of how you're feeling and how you're feeling sort of over short and long periods will help you make better decisions about this stuff.
1: Yeah, I know in my log we if I have it's, it has to be like a series of I feel like crap today. I feel like crap today. I feel like yeah. crap, before we make a decision to say okay, here's an extra race rest day. If it's like yeah. uh, I just didn't feel it today, it's a, it's a single blip then, and you know no big deal. We'll probably just continue forward as planned. Yeah. We're pretty my, my coach and I are pretty dialed in by now, yeah. but um One of the things I wanted to ask you about was, so I've seen so here in Kansas City, maybe where you are, there's like a new recovery center. It's like an IV hydration therapy, which I think is frankly dangerous since you have. I don't think uh, like a medic. It's not. It's not a hospital, and so they're using IVs to try to help people recover. What do you like? What's your approach to? Seeing new things like that that are, at least to some of us, blatantly dangerous, you yeah. know like put people at risk.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And in fact, people sometimes ask me, you know, was there anything, cause I tried a lot of weird stuff for this book right. and I describe a detail about that. Um, but people often ask me, you know, was there anything that you just was too weird or too scary? And, and this was one, this was one that I said, no way. I mean, I was offered, I went and visited one of these places and they were like, mm-hmm. here, here, we'll, you know, we'll give you a free session. And I was like, <laughs> no, thank you. Like this right. just looks dangerous, but it's also unnecessary. I mean, so, you know, the first thing that I will, I will think about when I see something like this is, okay, show me the evidence. And what is right. sort of the evidence that they're saying? And they're really not actually showing it any evidence, but you know, the things that they're saying is that it helps with hydration is one of mm-hmm. them. Well, you don't need an IV to be hydrated. And like, look, I recognize that there are situations, you know, when someone is in the desert collapsing from dehydration and you know, whatever an IV can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're extremely sick with the flu and you've been vomiting or something like an IV can be, you know, literally a lifesaver, but you know, for the most part, like healthy people do not need to be hydrated by IV and in fact, drinking water works just fine Um, contrary to what sports drinks and the whole uh, bottled water industry, you know, there's Mm -hmm. sort of this whole industry that's arose from this. But then the other thing that these all sort of uh, will promote that they have vitamins in them too, which I mean, this is just nonsense. You don't need to take vitamins in this sort of form. Um, If you're eating a healthy diet, you get all of those nutrients and those vitamins that you need. And so you're either giving yourself expensive pee or in some cases, there are actually vitamins that having too much can actually be dangerous. And this is something fat soluble. Yeah. And it's just it's not good. So you really I mean, really, one of the best things that athletes can do for themselves is stop taking supplements. Just stop. Mm. You don't need multivitamins. You don't need um vitamin c you don't need calcium you don't need any of this stuff now the one exception that i would make to this is in some cases um people may need iron if they're training at very high levels particularly Mm -hmm. women of menstruating age but this is something that you should actually really talk to your doctor about and make sure because you know you you really want some confirmation from a blood test that you're truly Mm -hmm. anemic or trending that way and honestly you can take you can take a, an iron supplement or you could eat some red meat and the red meat is going to be taken up so much better by your body. And mm-hmm. um, I hate to say this because I don't want to piss off vegetarians. I was vegetarian for 13 years mm-hmm. and I finally quit because I was having um, sort of continuous problems with keeping my iron up. And I started eating red meat and I felt immediately better. And, you know, I tried all kinds of supplements and really high dose iron pills and They basically just gave me upset stomach and my body was not able to utilize them nearly as well. And so I do think that it is is totally possible and it can be very healthy for people to train at high levels as vegetarians. But in some cases, you know, if that's not working, I think meat is your best choice if you can do it. And I understand people have ethical reasons and I don't Mm -hmm. I don't take issue with that. Um, but really, iron is, is the only one. And and it's kind of interesting to me. So many people will sort of only eat organic foods and then they take supplements. And it's like, you know, these are just like chemicals that are being <laughs> synthesized in like some yeah. lab in China.
1: Right. And like
0: a lot of the vitamins, the majority of vitamins come from overseas. Um, but there's been all kinds of, I mean, I describe in the book two athletes who tested positive on drug tests from electrolyte supplements. I'm yeah, like, I, was, I was gonna so
1: ask you about fun. that. Cause I actually, with Lauren Barnett, <laughs> My, 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 one of my friends, I, I, his name is Lucas. I guess I won't say his last name. He was actually also caught up in that. He was a professional triathlete. Uh Same time, same deal, same product. And it it was one of those situations where it's like, I've known the guy for several years through racing, but it's like, it's a situation of, do you believe them? You want to believe them. And then, you know, then it leads to the questions of, it it seems like it was an, an innocent mistake. So then my, I guess my question for you along that is like, should we require supplement manufacturers to like third-party test purity of their products? I
0: mean, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, there's all these things now, but the, the solution is don't take the stuff. I think it's so tragic. No, I, I'm being completely yeah, serious. No, no, I, like, I know it sound really glib, but there, there is no good evidence that any of this stuff is helpful, particularly uh-huh. for athletes who are already like by definition, really healthy, right? Like if you are right. an elite... Or a serious athlete, you're already like being very careful about your diet. You're exercising enough, presumably, like you're sleeping, you know, all the things that you need to do. Like, there's just, there's absolutely no good reason. I mean, it's so to me, the tragedy of those cases is like, why were you taking the electrolyte supplement in the first place? Do you mm-hmm. know what electrolytes are? there's salt. You get that from your food. Like, you know, and in fact, it may be on the one hand, we have doctors telling us to, like reduce the sodium in our diets. Like salt is not something you need to take in a supplement. You know, the industry has been really great at convincing people that they need to put, you know, salts in their water and all this, but this is just nonsense. I mean, you can eat regular food, you will get enough salt, you you get these things in the mm-hmm. food that you eat. Um, bananas are a great source of potassium. That's a great after before snack. I mean, a lot of Fruits have these things too. Um, so many of the foods that we eat you know, are full of salt. Like it's just not something, most people are not salt deficient. And mm-hmm. this idea that you need to be doing that. And, and uh, again, this goes with all these other nutritional supplements, you know, whether they're protein things. I mean, these protein powders basically exist because the milk industry had all this like extra whey proteins. So mm-hmm. They were like trying to figure out what to do with it, you know. Yeah. Um, there's really, you know, I'm not saying that you should never like, I don't know. These sorts of of, uh, after-workout shakes, I can understand that sometimes they're convenient and I'm not necessarily always opposed to them, but I think that we have, I mean, the supplement industry has shown again and again, there have been multiple, multiple cases of people testing positive for things that they ingested this way. And we know Mm -hmm. that there are manufacturing problems. And yeah, the idea that you can find the good players and the bad, I mean, so many of the, the, the sort of base products themselves are coming from the same place. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really hard. And yeah, there are programs and there are companies now that have like quality seals and all this. But at the end of the day, I mean, I interviewed a lawyer who's basically made a career out of defending athletes who've Mm -hmm. ingested stuff this way. Like they're not doing, you know, no one's offering money back guarantees if you get this stuff. And there's just no, like there's just not convincing evidence that any of it is helpful to people. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't, you don't need these. There's always new studies coming out about some fancy derivative or extract of X, Y, and Z. Most of that science is garbage, but it's also no reason to go, you know, buy these supplements. It's just expensive ways of getting things that you can get much better through actual food.
1: So here's one thing I, I, for whatever reason, I thought you would address it in the book. And then when I went back through, I didn't see it. So I may have missed it. Um, I've seen some a lot of people kind of agree with the sentiment that you're saying. And then they'll say the one caveat is like like iron distance races where you need to take in easily digestible nutrition during a race. Would you suggest, say, whole food? during the race or? Okay, so
0: so during a race like that, no, uh, this is a good question. Uh, I'm not at all opposed to using gels and things like this during Mm -hmm. a race like that. I think, I mean, those products basically arose because they filled this need of like, you need dense calories that are easy to digest. And I think that that's, and I wouldn't you know I, I think that you need to be careful and again, it's hard it's hard to know what's in this stuff like right, right. Uh, personally, if I was going to use something like that I prefer something that has like a very short ingredients list that are you know mm-hmm. things that I recognize and doesn't sound like chemistry you know chemistry set, <laughs> which is not to say I mean everything is chemicals. I don't want to you know right. I don't want to portray this idea that like chemicals are somehow inherently bad. but what you don't want is to be taking a bunch of taking stuff that, that is supplemented with mm-hmm. a bunch of vitamins that you don't know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I mean, I love eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I make these little ones that I'll take on long mountain bike rides sometimes. I mean, there are Whole Foods ways that you can do this. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's not always possible, um, but there are a lot of cookbooks and things out there, a lot. There are a few cookbooks out there. Uh, I know Chalaine Flanagan has a, a good one that has some recipes there for like, Yeah, some nice little energy food and things like that. So it is possible to do stuff. You don't need those products, but but I wouldn't say that you know you should absolutely never take a gel or something like that. Although you need to be careful. And in fact, I had heard a story, I didn't include it in the book, because I think I was having trouble. I wanted this sort of thing, you want to really triple verify it, but that Mm -hmm. there had been um, some kind of gel or something that had been given out in a triathlon somewhere where someone had tested positive and felt like it was from that or something. But Mm. yeah, this gets into the whole thing too. Well, there's
1: hearsay here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and it's very
0: convenient. And I think, you know, at this point, I think any athlete who's taking supplements is sort of, it sort of makes me wonder if you're also doping because it's a, a very good excuse and there really isn't a good convincing argument for taking. The stuff in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think this this is a little bit of a different rabbit hole. But thinking about <laughs> supplements and and doping, um, I've taken supplements in the past, though I don't often. I have like a recovery drink because again, it is convenient. But I, other than that, um, I don't. Despite my father's you know harping on multivitamins, I don't <laughs> take any. Um, I do think about the mentality, though, of. Okay, let's say, let's for, for the sake of argument, let's say that there is some efficacy in supplements. Where is the mental line between taking supplements and doping? You know what yeah, I mean? That's, that's like, a great
0: question. And like, I think, where's
1: the difference?
0: I think it's the same impulse, though. It's this idea that there's, like, some little edge, and you don't want to leave any rock mm-hmm. unturned, right? Like, that there's this idea that if if there's some little advantage that I could get, and, I mean, I guess I would just say, like, get your advantage... It's much easier to get a big advantage by, like, prioritizing sleep, doing mm-hmm. all these things. I mean, it cracks me up, these athletes who will be sleeping six hours a night, and then they think they're going to get a boost from supplements. It's like, <laughs> you'll get a hundred times more benefit out of sleeping some more and, and really taking care of yourself. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of self-care that really improves performance doesn't come in a pill.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. We're getting close to the end. I'll have a couple more questions for you and let you go. Um, Are there any recovery methods you tried for the book that you enjoyed and didn't really have any evidence that you're still using?
0: Yeah, Um, floating is one that I absolutely love. And it's something, I mean, the place that I went to um, the first, I've gone to a bunch of places now, and there's one near my house that I go to still occasionally. Um, They make all these claims about boosting neurotransmitters and blah, blah, blah. And some of that may be, there may be a tiny bit of truth, but basically it's just forced meditation which is something mm-hmm. you know you were sort of describing earlier the monkey brain which i also have where you always are sort of thinking yeah. about this that and the other and i i sort of felt floating so this is you're basically floating in a small tank of salty water You're very buoyant they used mm-hmm. to call these sensory deprivation tanks they've been rebranded because floating sounds a lot more pleasant right
1: yeah, i work on that marketing <laughs>
0: yeah anyway but but I expected to hate this. In fact, I kind of put off doing it and and i I really enjoyed it and it comes back to this same thing that we were talking about earlier, which is it just really helped me relax. It was a way of forcing myself to take an hour to relax and to do nothing and to you know not have any external stimulus and I found that really important and it's something that sort of transmits over to the rest of my life and I'm still not I did try a bunch of meditation while I was writing the book as well and I found it very helpful it's something that I found hard to turn into a habit because I'm just it's not the kind of person that I am (laughs) but I have found that I sort of bring that mentality I have um made a priority in my life to to make sure that every single day I have some time that is unscheduled that is um I'm not expecting myself to be productive I'm allowing my mind to wander Mm -hmm. um I, you know, I go out for a run and I'm not looking at my watch. I'm not listening to music. Just sort of being in the world I think is a really good way to do that. So I think every person will find their own way. But I think it's really important to develop some kind of relaxation ritual that you do that's sort of your time to, to refresh.
1: Last question. This is a question I'm yeah. asking everybody this year and is particularly prescient for you. Okay. Um, I ask everybody if you can only choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Huh? Wow. That's really (laughs) (laughs) tough. I mean, I love, uh, but, banana with peanut butter after i do something but that's two foods i guess i mean maybe if you can no, it's consider. okay it's
1: okay um, i've got everything love- i've got everything yeah. from yeah. chocolate milk to pizza like it it's anything yes. yeah uh,
0: i think pb and j's are great and uh the nba stars all really like that too but they're super easy they're cheap it's simple there's a lot of you can you know you could have a different sandwich every day and still stick to pb and j yeah. yeah it's got all the stuff yeah. you.
1: Solid answer. Uh, Christy, yeah. if people want to get the book, where can they get that and where can they find you if they want to yeah, see
0: the Yeah, so you're here is you. the book. Yeah. Um, so good, www.goodtogobook.com mm-hmm. um, has links to buying it um, on sort of the online places, but also local booksellers, um, all of the different things. It's also available, of course, all the usual places online. The very best place to get it, of course, is your local independent bookseller on the other places that keep us writers in business.
1: Yep. Yep. Thanks for coming on today, Christy.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take Take care. Bye.